I'm so tired of being like, well, I'll just let you use the pronouns that look like the, you know, the body that I was born in, because otherwise you wouldn't let me go on stage. listening to include this podcast a show about the untold stories of people of color and underrepresented groups in the entertainment industry and beyond i am your host christina nieves Today on Include This Podcast, I am talking with Ian Stewart, Bear Spiegel, and Cam Messinger, and we are getting into all things trans and non-binary. The incomparable Janet Mock, author of Redefining Realness, said, I believe that telling our stories, first to ourselves, and then to one another and the world, is a revolutionary act. It is an act that can be met with hostility, exclusion, and violence. It can also lead to love, understanding, transcendence, and community. These three beautiful souls I have on the show today are all about sharing their stories, living empowered lives, and bringing forth the revolution. (laughs) I learned so much from them during our talk, and I know you will too. I'm not sure if anyone who listens to the show would need definitions for any of the terms we'll be using today, like trans, queer, non-binary, cisgendered, etc. If you do, ain't no shame, better late than never and all that. I know I'm still learning every day. So for the sake of time, I'll include some links to further reading in the show notes. So if you feel like that's you, go ahead, pause the show and get to reading. It's really not as complicated as it may seem at first to some people. And when you're ready, just press play and continue listening. So let's meet our guests. I'm Cam. Uh, My pronouns are they, them, theirs. Um, I pretty loosely identify as queer and non-binary, but I use them more as like umbrella terms than anything else. Hi, my name is Ian Field Stewart. I use they, them, their pronouns. And I identify as uh, queer, non-binary, uh, gender non-conforming, black mixed race storyteller working at the intersection of theater and activism. Hi, I'm Bear. Uh, they, them, theirs pronouns. I'm gender fluid, queer, gay as hell, but also actually <laughs> pansexual. Uh, I'm an actor, artist, model, whatever you want from me. And I'm loud and angry. I was really interested to know if these performers felt a burden for their work to always be politicized because of their non-binary identities. Like, do they ever just want to be in something that has nothing to do with gender? Or does their work always have to be political? I don't believe that there's any way to um, put marginalized people on stage without it being political. Our, our our society and our world at the moment does not center marginalized people. That's why they are marginalized. And so I think that it is inherently political to place those bodies on stage. Um, it, is inher- it is inherently political to um, go with to go with the grain, right? And to erase mm-hmm. those bodies. It is inherently political to tell their stories without them present. And all of those things occur on a daily basis. So regardless of whether, even even if whether you put us on stage or not, you are still making a political choice. 
even in something like Legally Blonde or like, you know, these larger musicals that feel like people kind of label as fluffy are still inherently political by the story that they're telling. Mm. What does it mean for, you know, a rich, white, blonde, cis woman to apply to to an Ivy League university with no credentials and be accepted based on her Mm. looks? That is an inherently political statement. As as actors, as storytellers, as as people walking through the world, we are we are called upon every day to tell our stories and to tell the stories of others, and that is a political action. An interesting point that got brought up was the loneliness of being an advocate. When you're called upon to be the spokesperson of any group, not only can you feel alone, but over time you can feel very tokenized as well. The the tokenism is something I've been struggling a lot with lately. I actually had a conversation with my partner about it who's also gender fluid. Because I was talking about how I'm really fortunate that the reason I've been getting most of my acting jobs is because of my gender. And I'm really proud and happy to represent non-binary people and myself on stage. But it's hard to not feel like it's tokenism. Um, especially the one of the first shows that I got as a non-binary person was written by a cis man, and he literally had just put this person in for this reiteration of the show and was like, well, I just really wanted a genderqueer person in the show. And, like, my character served no purpose. Like, I, like, it was a, it was, it was strange. Like, I enjoyed being in it, but I was like, I don't feel like my character needs to be here and I'm only here because of my gender. Um, But I've also, like, had amazing scripts written by trans people that I've been lucky enough to perform. And, like, those are a lot... Realist, more realistic to me, I guess, because usually the stories don't focus on the transness. The transness just is part of the character. There's a new show on... Wow. I have no idea. But uh, it's written by my friend Tom's parents. Uh, Doubt on CBS. Doubt on CBS. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> uh, my friend Tom, who is trans, his parents, who used to write for Grey's Anatomy, they're now written this show with Laverne Cox in it. And... Um, yeah, Laverne Cox's character is trans, but that's not the center of the story. It's part of her identity, but that's not what the story's about. And I think we really need to be lauding stories like that, where trans people, non-binary people are at the center of the story, but the center of the story is not our gender. Yes. It can be part of the story, but it's not my whole story. As far as this idea that the roles that you got were because you were non-binary or because you were trans or genderqueer... Um, And I think that this is a really, this is one of the most damaging aspects of this, is that Mm. we as performers, we as artists, negate our own own talent and our own skills and our own worth because we believe that there is no other way for us to be important or valid or, or central to the story because of who we are. And they are lucky to have us. And I think that that's sort of like... What I hope the next phase is in our in our movement, like loving each other and centralizing our, our stories on ourselves, is that we no longer are seeing um, the result of our hard work as a gift given by the dominant paradigm, but rather we are valuing ourselves and seeing ourselves as the gift that we are being that we are giving to to that paradigm. Wow. That they their lives are richer because of us. Because they because they have not only included us but also made space for us to include ourselves right, and shape yeah. ourselves and that makes their lives more richer and that makes their productions richer and they are benefiting from that. I mean, mm-hmm. how many how many queer folks have like built the theater and yet right. and yet we still are like having these like 
tokenized um in um inauthentic representations of ourselves on stage and the queer people have built the theater right you know so we are the gift and they are and they choose to continue to ignore that and the longer they do that the more they suffer we do not suffer because they don't choose to include us in their transphobic or um in their erasure of us mm-hmm. you know, i so just wanted that. to say that thank you how amazing is that we are the gift they ain't doing us any favors by including us. We are helping them. What a shift in perspective. I asked these three what the biggest misconceptions, myths, and stereotypes about trans and non-binary people are, and their response got me all the way together. Where are the non-binary people? That's I don't real. see any. Mm, I don't. That's real. Where? Where? Which ones do you want me to talk about? Because there aren't <laughs> any. Like I would love to talk about non-binary representation in media, but I can't because it there doesn't exist. Like mm-hmm. trans representation barely exists. We get Laverne Cox. Well, that was the end of that combo. I guess I'll have to ask Bear again when there are actually some roles out there to discuss. It's pretty crazy to realize that's where we are with trans and non-binary stories in mainstream media. We gotta do better, people. Connected to this idea, Cam started discussing the importance of trans and non-binary stories being written by trans and non-binary people for trans and non-binary people. I think it's really interesting that you're talking about, um, you know, things written by trans and non-binary folks that, that have characters that are incredibly realistic, because that's what I'm trying to work on right now, because, you know, you turn on the TV or technically, like, turn on your computer, <laughs> and you see bullshit shows like Transparent that have Jeffrey Tambor, <laughs> a cis white man, playing a trans woman, like, and winning awards for it, and I'm yeah. like, listen, like, if there's anything that I want to go in to do to actually be like, I have to change this, like, as someone who, you know, is privileged to have an education, is privileged um, to kind of have power in the world despite being a non-binary person despite being a queer person um you have to use that to change something i'm like this is kind of what i want to go into do why aren't trans people being cast in these roles like the danish girl or mm-hmm. dallas buyers club that mm-hmm. disaster of a movie oh my um, and my friend was like you know why because these roles aren't written for trans people they're mm-hmm. written for cis men to play trans people and that's mm-hmm. why they're not cast yeah. The reason Tangerine has trans women in it is because those roles were written for trans women, and that's why that movie is so incredible. Right. But the reason we're not getting cast in these roles is because they're not even written for us. They're writing trans roles forces actors, and that is such a big problem, and like it really frustrates me to no end. But that realization was really important to me, that it's yeah. not just that trans people aren't getting cast. They're not even getting mainstream things written for them. We haven't even gotten that far. Intersectionality. Oh, that beautiful, overused, misunderstood term. Side note. Did you know that the term intersectionality was actually coined by an African-American civil rights advocate and UCLA professor named Kimberly Williams Crenshaw? I certainly did not. You learn something new every day, y'all. So Ian talked with us about the complicated challenges that can exist when one is black and queer and the need they see for more integration of those two communities. Shout out to the, ho- the to the Hotep Black Brothers and you know some of the like 
bl- black folks out there and other people of color who are having these conversations and not including us. Like yeah. I like mm-hmm. I like and I and I felt I feel very complicated about putting that out there because as a trans person, as a queer person, I'm not supposed to be able to talk about that, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm just supposed to support all the others. And I think that, you know, I've been doing this work long enough that I'm like, okay, now it's time for me to start saying it. Maybe some of y'all can show mm. up for us. Um, and I'm not saying, and like, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, no black folks are doing that because a lot of the spaces I work in, black folks are like the leads in doing that, you know? Mm. Um, but I do, I do want to say that, you know, as someone who is living at that intersection, my my blackness is constantly questioned, not just because, you know, I'm mixed race and light skinned, but also because uh, and, and which, you know, there is there are things to talk about regarding my, mm-hmm. my skin privilege. There are absolutely things to talk about. But I, I think that often what happens is that because I am queer and queerness is is removed from you know, a lot of communities of color because of because of the ways in which we have been expected to... We had, like, you know, in the 60s, for, and I'm, I'm speaking from black experience because that's my experience, but, like, in the 60s, we had to come together and there wasn't time for us to be anything but black. Yeah. You know, we had to fight for blackness and I, and I, and I, and I love and uplift that. However, if we don't want colored over our bathrooms, we shouldn't ask for gender. We, we can ask to not have gender over ours. Yes. You know? And I think that that's a conversation that I really want black folks and, and people of color to start having. Um, and there, and people are doing that, you know? I don't, I don't want to put out there, like, no one come for me and say, like, you know, that I'm saying that, like, black folks don't do this work. They do do this work. I'm saying that I want it to start infiltrating the mainstream as well. Yeah. Mainstream black culture needs to be having this conversation because we ain't going anywhere if we're not going together. The oldest person on this panel was 23 at the time of this recording. And I don't mean this in any type of condescending way at all because I'm hardly in my golden years myself, but it was so awesome to be around their young energy. Cam and Bear are in college, and Ian is a recent graduate, and they all seem to be in that time of life when Anything is possible, and kicking down doors is the only option. They reminded me that trying to survive in a system that wasn't made for us is one option, but working outside of it to create something new and beautiful and sustaining, that's something entirely different. Here's a short public service announcement from Bear. Can we stop putting everything on a goddamn binary? Can we stop mm-hmm. having an equal and opposite opposition? Because that's not how the world works. Right. In nature, mm-hmm. there is zero binaries. Like, I just... And it's, like, it's so pervasive. Like, what I like to say is, like, we are so obsessed with binaries that we think cats are the opposite of dogs. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense. <laughs> like, no that is that sense. makes no sense. They're not opposites. Nothing is opposite. Like, can we, like... As a world, like we need to stop putting everything on a binary because there are more than two things that people can choose from. The conversation turned to the bathroom and all the drama and trauma around this issue for trans and non-binary people. I was humbled to be a fly on the wall for this very open and honest part of our conversation. 
love it. I want to get your guys' opinions on something. It's going off of the bathroom thing. Mm-hmm. The bathroom thing is the only trans issue, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only I, thing we have to do. It's yeah. there's gonna be a lot of prefacing, so I apologize. No, but so fine. there's a club. I am a frequent. We have like a like, very small LGBTQ center at my school, and I just hang out there because they have free pinting and like a Keurig. Nice. It's called a Queerig, and it's my favorite yeah. thing. Oh my god! But That's we have a amazing. club called Tea Party, which is for trans and non-binary folk. And I was there last night. I'm I'm not in Tish, which is like the theater yeah. art school. Um, but the person who is kind of providing this information isn't Tish. Um, and essentially what that school is trying to do is get all of the, every single bathroom, um, non-binary. So all, like, it just, they're going to take the gender off of every single door and base it off of utility. So this bathroom has urinals, this bathroom doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. which I'm hesitant about because Mm. on one hand, obviously, like, I'm, yes, like, give us non-binary bathrooms. Like, I'm so tired of, like, you know, having to deal with this bullshit all the time. But I don't want to pee next to a uh, cis 40-year-old man. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to... I don't want to have to be, you know, in that kind of a situation. And I think a lot of the fears that I have, like, around going to the bathroom in different spaces, not about going to the bathroom, but where I am going to the bathroom, mm-hmm. um, are not, you know, you know, the Republican conservative narrative of, like, I'm the person to be feared in the bathroom. But I have a lot of fears about yes. who I'm going to be peeing next to, who's going to be, mm. you know, aggressive or, you know, judgmental of me. And I think that even if you take away the label of that, who I am peeing next to does not change. Um but my second thing is that, okay, it's Tish. Tish is a very liberal institution. Tish is, yeah. you know, a lot of people who are going to be very accepting of this. But if that becomes a standard at my school, I know for a fact that there is a wild amount of, you know, those, like, secret, the secret Trump voters, and I'm using mm-hmm. air quotes again, right. who, you know, me, who goes to a different, like, part of NYU that is definitely less um, fun than Tish <laughs> is and open, um, if, if Tish becomes the precedent, if that, you know, making every bathroom... Um, non-binary becomes the precedent, you know, it's going to, it's not going to be as good as it is there. It's, I'm going to be peeing next to people who do not want me anywhere, mm. let alone, you That's know, in their bathroom. Um, and so I, I want to get your guys' opinions yeah. on that. Cause we had, we talked about it for so long last night. I mm. think for me, I feel that I have an equal chance of being harassed anywhere I go. Mm-hmm. I have an equal chance of being harassed if I go in the women's restroom the men's restroom the non-binary restroom walking down the street walking Mm. to my apartment Mm. like personally i feel that i have the same risk of harassment everywhere i go even at my very liberal queer school i i have a friend who's a trans man and he was before we had non-binary bathrooms he was harassed out of the men's bathroom by a fellow student which made me really mad. But, like, I am all for making all bathrooms non-binary because I think bathrooms are for going to the bathroom. Um, I personally don't feel that it opens up more doors to harassment because, to me, I can be harassed anywhere. What's, like, my argument with, you know, the idea of not letting trans people use the correct bathroom is what is stopping men from going into women's restrooms right now? You have a security guard out there? Because I've never seen one. Mm. Nothing, like, nothing about labeling the bathroom is going to stop people. Mm. People who are going to harass people are going to harass people no matter where mm. you are. That's true. So I guess that's kind of my take on it is, like, I have an equal risk of being harassed regardless of what bathroom I'm going to go into. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's this illusion of safety, right? There's right. Lo- there's mm. the illusion of safety... Um, labels are, are, are like, you know, a society's illusion of safety. You know, we yep. place a label on something and we make it and, and it, and it makes us comfortable because we know which box it goes into. And that's the entire reason that, you know, that, you know, 
that that throughout history, when you place the label on somebody, it, it places them in that box. It makes them mm-hmm. easy to oppress. It makes them easy to uplift. It makes them easy to bada-bing, bada-boom, you know? I agree. I think that, you know, regardless of where I go, you know, I, you know, I was... I've been attacked in my own home. I've been attacked on the street. I've been attacked, you know, wherever. Like, you know, my in in my bedroom, you know, my bedroom wasn't safe for me, you know? Yeah. So how can, you know, so what is that, what does that mean? You know, like for me, it's like, you know, I'd rather, I would rather the system, I would rather have something to point to that says, you did this and therefore, if I am attacked, if I am harassed, you have a duty to defend me. Right. Rather than continuing this system of, oh, well, you were in the wrong place and therefore you deserve what you got. Yeah. You know? And I think that's that's what that means for me. But I but I I'm glad that you said that because I had not necessarily even considered that for myself of like, you know, well, because I've I've often been in spaces where I, I just kind of like like some days I'm just feeling particularly like, you know, I don't care about your feelings and I just like walk into whatever me. bathroom I choose, regardless of how I go to the one appear. that's closest. You know, which is also a problematic thing of like, you know, I have I some I often am choosing which bathroom I go into depending on what I appear or what I know the world to be seeing me as. Yep. You know, which is so frustrating. Of course, our episode would not be complete without some horrible audition stories for your listening pleasure. So. Yeah, they are. They have like a satire musical theater group, and they just yeah. do spoofs of like different stuff. And I was like, "This is for me. This is like singing, and it's like de- like acting, and it's uh, comedy, and it's like perfect." Um, so I get that, and I sing a I sing like Book of Mormon or something stupid, yes. and like that was great. And like I did some improv for them, and it was great. And I didn't realize that they were just a hundred percent committed to the idea of musical theater, and that you also have to dance, similarly yeah, to your sure story. Do. And I. Um, I, it's not even that I'm, like, a bad dancer. I'm just, like, that one person wherever you go, like, at a school dance, at a club, that just kind of, like, I'm doing my thing, like, just bouncing. Like, I don't know how to move my body in a way that looks (laughs) like it should be moving that way. Um, so I thought that instead of just... I was trying to follow along with the choreo and it was just, it was going horribly. Everyone else there was like in, like in like a leotard or like, yep. you know, ready to move. And like, they're all, you know, they Jazz came to really. Tish to live their lives. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're, they're classic, just, classic. you know, like, like, classic. uh, you know, just like yeah. musical theater girls who were there to live their dreams. And you're like, ugh. and so I thought that the best way for me to make a show of myself, like I was like the best way that I can show them that I'm I'm really serious about this is that I was gonna try to do the worm instead of doing any of the choreography. Yes. So at the like That's in the middle bold. of it, everyone That's else was doing it either works or it doesn't. It's everyone one was or the doing, other. but the only problem is that I can't do the worm. Like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. I don't, I, don't, I do not look like the kind of person who knows how to do the God, worm. I was rooting for you. I have. I like, <laughs> we were all rooting for you. You have to have muscle for that. So I mean, yeah, everyone hard. else is doing kickball changes. Meanwhile, I'm slithering down to the ground. Ready to get into that like downward dog pose. It was a like a goddamn oh, mess. It was the worst. Baby. So, oh, um, I appreciate amazing. that hustle it's, though. Yeah. So that was like I'm gonna do the it's worst. It's fine. Make I'm strong over choices. It. Yeah. Yeah. So the worst audition was I. So I'm from LA, and we have a uh, LA County High School for the Performing Arts where all my friends went. I auditioned five times. I did not get in. So this is the story of one of those times, the mm. time that I decided to try out for the vocal program. 
I can't sing, everybody. Oh. Just like, for <laughs> oh, some no. reason, up until I started auditioning for college, my parents, my vocal teacher, entertained the thought that I could sing. No one told me until I tried to audition for oh, college. No. Oh, no. And so I knew that there is a portion of the audition that we have to sight sing. And like I can oh. follow, I can follow along with music, but I don't read music. And so the week, like only like a few weeks before, I started trying to teach myself how to read music. Oh. And so I s- quote unquote sing my aria. We have to sing an opera aria. I did it in the wrong key first of all. I don't know why oh. my teacher told me to do soprano. And then I sang my song, which wasn't even it was a talking song. Like why did I choose a talking song? And we get to the sight singing part, and he hands me a piece of paper. And I'm like, there are notes on this piece of paper. Like, okay, these are notes. They go up, they go down. Did you know that you had to sight sing? No, I knew. So, like, I had tried to prepare myself, but, like, you can't learn to sight sing in three weeks. And so he's like, okay, like, here's the key. And I was like, all right, those are notes. And he was like, here's your starting note. Go for it. And I was like... Okay. So I sang something, and then he silent and he just goes well you ended on the right note oh, and i was like thank oh, you very much damn. i will be seeing myself out i did not get into the la county high school <laughs> performing arts everybody also, i don't know what it is but something about like for me like dance auditions like whenever they go bad like it's kind of funny i feel like you know like those are the ones that you can share yeah. because everyone kind of has that thing of like you know some dance calls are just ridiculous but, like, vocal auditions for me are always the one where it's just, like, it gets to my soul. Yes. It's just, yes. oh, God. It's so vulnerable. It was, it's so it was vulnerable. embarrassing. Oh, God. And you I was, can't... like, 15. Like, it's not the time you want to oh, embarrass babe, yourself. Babe. Like, it was bad. Bear, Cam, and Ian for generously sharing their time and their stories with Include This Podcast. You have left us all inspired, entertained, enlightened, and fired up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our show is recorded at CDM Studios in New York, New York. If you like what we've been doing on the show, chances are your homies will too. So be a good friend. And share it with them, okay? Please subscribe to include this podcast on iTunes. If you rate and review us, you'll be my new bestie. This has been another episode of Include This Podcast. Until next time, stay encouraged, keep making art, and don't take no shit. <laughs>